So we're continuing our series. We have two weeks left. Tonight we're going to be on Daniel 5. Next week we're not going to do Daniel 6. Next week's going to be anniversary. Oh, so it's going to be fun. And we're going to take a week off from that. And then the following week uh, we will finish up with Daniel chapter 6 where there are lions. It's very exciting. But this week's exciting too. There's, well, I won't give you a precursor. We'll just jump right into it. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we're listening. Lord, we're listening for your word, for your life, for your instruction, for your sharpening. Lord, right now we just come before you and we just yield, Father, and we just declare that we are open and we're listening, Lord. Father, as an act of my will, I I yield to you and I say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Bring life through the reading of your word and the sharing of your scripture, Lord. Lord, let your word just come alive to us and let it just hit us in the center of who we are, Lord God. Let us be encouraged and sharpened and um, even moved Lord, in any way that you choose, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been on a series called Fearless, where we have covered uh, Daniel um, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, now 5. And we've talked about being fearless before the Lord, fearless of men, fearless of the approval of men, fearless of circumstances that come our way, fearless even when it comes to believing God and hoping in the good things that he has for us. That we don't have to be afraid. Uh, last time I preached, I talked about that we don't have to be afraid. That the good things that he wants to give us, we don't have to be afraid of being disappointed or having our, our hopes crashed on the rocks. We can put our trust in him. We can be fearless. So we're going to go through um, Daniel 5. And I'm just going to kind of stop and pause at different things and just share different things in hopes that this scripture will just come alive to us, this chapter. Um, I've told you this before. One of the things that I asked the Lord for as I began this series was, Lord, stir within us a hunger for your word. Lord, give us a hunger for your word. Your word is awesome. And uh, it's so life-giving. And so many times it just, his word just sits on our on our shelf, um, not utilized, not dug into, not consumed. So, um, So that is my prayer. Um, and uh, and I pray that that that, that prayer is being heard, and that some of you guys are just getting, you know, that you are truly falling in love with spending time with Him and His Word. So let's go ahead and, and read together from Daniel <clears throat> chapter five. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. Let's stop right now, so just so that we're not confused. Daniel, when he uh, and the children of Israel were brought into captivity when Judah was defeated. The Babylonians gave him a name. Do you remember what his name was? Belshazzar. So there was a T in there, Belshazzar. So we're going to go ahead and... So this is not the same. This is Bel... We're going we're gonna to do an ER. We're going to make this kind of southern. This is Belshazzar. Okay? So this is going to be Belshazzar. Um, so a different person. So, so, okay? So let's go ahead and continue. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of the nobles, and he drank wine with them. 
while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, just to, to pause, depending on the translation of the Bible you have, it might say his father, um, Nebuchadnezzar, when in, in reality that word father is is like forefather or establisher of the house. So uh, the relational line between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar is grandfather. So uh, Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Um, and also just to kind of give a little bit more background, when Judah was defeated by the Babylonians, um, these items that are spoken of here now, these cups, these chalices, um, they were holy items. They were taken from the temple. They weren't just expensive relics. They were things of worship that were used in the temple in worshiping God. So here we have Belshazzar in the midst of a party, a thousand people. They're already drinking. They're already partying. And it's not enough. So he says, go get the godly symbols. Go get those godly relics. Those things that that the, the, the Israelites used in worshiping their God. Go, go, go get them so that they can be a part of our festivities. I want us to look at the dishonor and just the brazen disrespect that Belshazzar has in this act. Um, we're going to see that uh, Belshazzar, you know, his character unfolds right in front of us as we as we study this passage. But we need to know that the the calling forth of these items was not done so lightly or flippantly. It was done so as a spit in the face to God. He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. <clears throat> so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. While drinking from the cup of the living God, they worshipped and gave praise to these dead objects. Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. Interesting. Interesting. He, he completely loses it, completely collapses. There was no frightening noise. There was no clap of thunder. No lightning. No angel of the Lord, flaming sword drawn. None of that. Just a hand writing on the wall. A hand that's described as a human hand. 
It's not even necessarily some huge, massive, godlike hand. It doesn't say it was this gargantuan hand right in upon the wall. It says a human hand right in upon the wall. Mind you, this is the same hand, the hand of God, that wrote the Ten Commandments. Okay? So there's no... We, we see it described as a human hand. Now, mind you, um, there's no remnant of the body. There's no wrist or arm. Or, I mean, you know, that's kind of creepy. You know, it's a little disconcerting. Um, but, but my point is, we see the response of Belshazzar, the fear that comes upon him. He becomes pale. He becomes weak. His knees knocking losing strength at a hand writing on the wall. So what was so frightening? The king didn't even know what it said. At this point, he doesn't even know what it says. What is so frightening? It's not what what was written because he doesn't know yet. His own thoughts scared him. His own guilty conscience flew in his face. His own heart confirmed to him that he had no reason to expect any good news from what was written on that wall. He didn't know what was written there, but he knew it wasn't good. He knew the defiant act that he had just done, the calling forth of these sacred objects from the temple that were used to worship the living God. If you look throughout Daniel, other kings, his predecessor, his grandfather referred to our God as the living God. Worshipping dead objects with objects that, that had previously only been used to worship the living God. Belshazzar knew that the hand of an angel or of God could write nothing but terror to him. And he knew the state of his own heart, and this is what scared him. The written word of God, God's written word is sufficient to bring fear into the boldest and most brazen of sinners. Why? Because when push comes to shove, we all know the state of our heart. And when push comes to shove, we all know that we are unworthy and God is holy. And we might not understand who God is or what he is, but we know that we ain't it and that we don't measure. This is why the world wants nothing to do with our Bible, just to kind of shed a little bit of light, just a little bit of discipleship here. This is why the world wants nothing to do with our Bible. When, you know, we invite them to a Bible study and they're like, uh-uh. Because they know they don't measure up. They don't know exactly what's contained in those in those books and that black leather-bound book we're reading that we hold so dear. But they know that it reminds them that they don't measure up. And this is why we, as His church, as His disciples, are called, are commanded to bring the good news to the world. Because to many of them, that book represents their unworthiness. 
But we need to let them know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That because of the work of Jesus, the work of the cross, and our risen Savior, that they can be made in right standing with God. Amen? You know, as we read this, this is one of those passages we don't think about. That is the written word of God on this wall. And it brought fear. Let's continue reading. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. The reason that the the wise men could not tell what the writing on the wall meant was not because it was written in characters or a language that was unknown to them. We'll see later on that that Daniel recognizes it for for a language that he understands and that the wisest men in their kingdom understood as well. The reason they could not understand it and, and forget you know, interpret it. They couldn't even read it. They couldn't recognize it. It's because God had allowed just a haze to come upon their minds. God's purpose in this was that Daniel be brought in and that Daniel be his mouthpiece to bring the word forth. So there's men going, I, I, I can't even recognize that. I don't even know what that means. And I could see, I could imagine the king going, what do you mean? I mean, you know... Aramaic, you know Hebrew, you know Greek, you know Klingon, you know all these, and you know them. God's purpose was greater. Verse 9, so the king grew even more alarmed. This king is not a tough guy. This king is not like a bad-to-the-bone king. This is like, this dude's, yeah, grew more tired and alarmed. His face turned pale. His nobles, too, were shaken. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. You know, I love it when a man of God walks in the room and says, Fear not! But, you know, here we got the queen mother going, Pull yourself together, kid. Good Lord. I mean, you know, don't be so pale and frightened. Man up a little bit. Cowboy up. Man. She says, there's a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have found, was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and fortune tellers of Babylon. Let's go ahead and, and, you know, pause and just give thought to this here. This is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. The last chapter we studied together was one that Nebuchadnezzar wrote. Nebuchadnezzar wrote chapter 4, where he talked about how proud and pompous he became, where he stood out uh, above the city and said, all of this is because of me. 
And then a prophecy of the Lord was fulfilled. And he lost his mind for seven years, went off and became a madman, had cl- like nails like an eagle, and ate grass and lost his mind for seven years. And all of a sudden, just like that, God restored it and restored him. So this is his grandfather. Do I have any, do I have any grandparents out here? Okay, grandparents. If you experience something that amazing, that amazing, the restoration of God, the power of God, the humbling of God, to the point where that you end up proclaiming Him as your own God. Would you keep that from your grandchildren? Is there any way you would not share that with your grandchildren? I want to be perfectly clear. I believe there is no way Belshazzar did not know about Daniel. Did not know about the the works of God. There is no way that Belshazzar was oblivious to it. No way. But yet the queen mother here in this instance, I don't know her relation. She's just the queen mother. I don't know. She's having to explain who he was. And to the point that she does so, it says, um, your grandfather, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, made this man the head of all of his wise men. I think the, the sentence she lives out is, yet you have totally ignored him. Yet to you, he's not even part of this kingdom. Next verse, verse 12. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Okay, so a couple things to point out. Number one, I think it's awesome. Daniel is known as Daniel. Daniel never abandoned the the Judah within him, the Christ within him. Daniel, the queen mother doesn't refer to him as Belshazzar and then continues along that line. She says, Daniel, you might have heard of him as as Belshazzar. They named him Belshazzar. didn't stick. He just kind of went down with it. So because of the favor of God on his life, all of us, this entire kingdom, all yielded to it and said, what the heck, we'll go ahead and call him Daniel. We'll call him by his Jewish name. He he insists upon it. And, you know, what can you do with a guy under the submission of a king if he insists upon it? You have to go with it, right? I mean, don't you think that's amazing? He stood by his guns and insisted that he be called Daniel. So what is he known as, Daniel? Nobody can make us yield or compromise our faith and what we are known as and what we are known by. Nobody. Nobody can make us do that. We do not have to yield that, surrender that, water that down, or eliminate that from our resume of who we are. That's good. That is good. Man, that's exciting. Second thing, she says, call him in. Call him in. He'll he'll interpret it. So there's a thousand friends, advisors, noblemen, They're all partying. Daniel's not part of it. He has to be called in. So he's not there. I want to shed uh, a little bit of 
insight also into this king, into his vanity and his brazenness. He's in the midst of war. There are rumors that his enemy is already advancing within his kingdom walls. And what does he do? Party, dude! Let's have a big party! Bring the wine! This is a guy whose heart... We'll come back to that. So Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, Are are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah? Can we back up a second? Can we back up to verse 12? And, And let's read... This is the queen mother's introduction of Daniel. Who, he, By the way, Belshazzar knows who Daniel is. She, he knows who Daniel is. But this is how the queen mother, this is the respect that she paid Daniel in her description of him. He has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for him. Okay, let's go to the next verse. Are you Daniel, one of the exiles, brought in from Judah? conquered by my predecessor. Do we see, I mean, when we, when we study God's word, we need to stop and go, holy cow, the blatant disrespect of this guy. Not only does he give Daniel any part in his kingdom, he doesn't consult Daniel for his wisdom, and he definitely doesn't consult Daniel's God. But then, when his back's against the wall and he's fearful, stricken with fear, pale with fear, and at the advice of somebody revered to him, he, this is how he begins his introduction. It's important to note, when we look at the mercy of, of our God, and we've seen God's mercy all throughout this chapter, all throughout Daniel, we have seen the mercy of God. But we're about to see the wrath of God. And there comes a point when God will not be mocked. There comes a point when God will not be mocked. And he says, you know who I am. You know what I've done. You know all these things. Yet, you still treat me with this disdain. Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. Once again, the inability to recognize, to acknowledge who God is. My wise men enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot do it. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me what they're meaning, You will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel, they say, around this time is about 90 years old. Daniel came into Babylon in exile as a young man and by this point, experts say he's around 90 I think a younger Daniel might have had a little more grace, a little more, I don't know, but 90-year-old Daniel comes straight to the point. 
90-year-old Daniel is fears nothing, much less this knee-knocking, pale poser of a king. I don't like Belshazzar. <laughs> Daniel answered the king, Keep your gifts. I don't do this for the money. I don't do this for keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I'll tell you what the writing means. Okay, let's just go ahead and uh, let's just go ahead and, and see. Let's set the stage here. Daniel walks in. You know, someone ushers him in. Someone goes. The king is terribly worried because look at that. Oh my gosh, look at that. We saw a hand writing that. That wasn't just there. We saw a hand writing it. So Daniel's like, boom. He looks at it and goes, I know what it says. I know what it means. I know what God's going to do. I have no time for pleasantries with this little punk. You see the way he addressed other kings? Oh, king, long live the king. Oh, king. I mean, just honor. He's very respectful and honoring. This is the epitome of seeing the writing on the wall. Daniel walks in before he's even even introduced to the king. He goes, this guy won't be around very long at all. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts. I'll tell you what the writing means. Next verse, 18. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that peoples of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and he spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and he disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor. You're his grandson, Belshazzar. And you knew all this. Yet you have not humbled yourself. You knew all this. I'm telling you nothing you didn't already know. You knew all this. And of course, what everything Daniel has said up to this point has nothing to do with the interpretation of what's on that wall. But it has everything to do with laying the foundation for why God is going to act against this man. You knew all of this, yet you chose to dishonor God. You knew all this. You heard the stories. You saw the change in your grandfather. This wasn't just hearsay to you. This was your inheritance. Yet you have turned your back on the Lord. You chose to ignore the one true God. For you have proudly, verse 23, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. Okay, just so you know, God told him that. You know, on the way being summoned, God's like, let me just go ahead and fill you in. 
how you how you think uh, Daniel felt about about this, about these cups, these objects of sacred affection and used of worship of his God, being used to honor stone and metals in a drunken, disrespectful way. How do you think he felt about that? How would you feel about that? i tell you how I'd feel about it. I'd have no patience. I'd have no tolerance. As soon as I saw the handwriting on the wall, I'd be taunting that fool. I would be talking trash. I would, and I'm like, ain't nothing you can do about it because five, four, three, two. You know what I'm saying? He's angry. You guys, we don't have to sit by passively. Passively? When you're a pacifist, you're sitting by passively, right? Thank you. We don't have to sit by passively as people dishonor our God. We don't have to sit there quiet like the good church boy or the good choir girl and sit there quietly as people as people dishonor our God. Now, I'm not saying that we're to have anything less than a graceful, patient, loving response. But I think far too often we stay quiet. We we take turn the other cheek to a ridiculous level. And we say, it's not my place. Well, dang it, whose place is it? You have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. This is what the message that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. And this is what these words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and you don't measure up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Is Belshazzar just dense? I mean, that's no response at all. Um, no. Uh, come again? And I, I do wonder what Daniel's response is going, Clown, I told you I don't want this junk. Next verse. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. That night, he was killed. And his kingdom was conquered. What's cool, and I've said this before when we're studying Daniel, 
after you're done with the chapter, go to the next chapter and read the next three verses. Because the next three verses just feel like they're part of the previous chapter. The next three verses say that Darius made Daniel part of his advisors. (laughs) That he was honored. Given a place of honor in the kingdom. Thank God that Darius learned, I mean, not even, there's no connection, there's no relation, there's no I look at the opportunity that Belshazzar had. I look at the the destiny, the the heritage that he was given, that he squandered. Uh, A heritage of righteousness and godliness and power. Okay, we know our God. So, we have this one chapter to base everything on. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't have all the answers, but we know our God. We know His heart. We see the way He pursued Nebuchadnezzar. We see the way He had grace for Nebuchadnezzar. It is very, very, very safe to assume that God pursued Belshazzar from a young age. And that that pursuit was ignored and and turned away. When our lives and our hearts are submitted to God, when our hearts are quick to repentance and forgiveness, we don't have to fear the hand of God. We don't have to fear the hand of God. We don't have to fear the written word of God. Because it's good. His plan for us is good. His intentions for us are good. His heart is for us. Belshazzar looked at the hand right upon the wall and instantly knew. Don't know what it is, but it can't be good because I know what I've done and I know how I've rejected his pursuits. So I don't know what's there, but I know it's not good. And I'm afraid. Sometimes the writing on the wall is so obvious in our lives. Is God pursuing you right now? Is He asking you to leave a lifestyle of sin behind? Is He asking us to lay something before Him and say, This has been a God in your life. Give it to me and worship the one who gives you breath and controls your destiny. That's the plan he has for us. And so we don't have to fear the hand of God and we don't have to fear the word of God. We can be fearless. I'm loving this. I'm loving this series. But when we put our hearts hard against his touch and against his voice and against his plan and against his ways and his will then we don't live a life walking fearless we we walk timidly we walk scared now here's here's the beauty of our god this is amazing if in any way 
this this message right now is just hitting your heart. And let's say let's say the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. Let's say God is shining a light upon upon something in your life. Here is the beauty. Here's the the awesome thing about God. You say yes, Lord. I choose you over this. I give this to you. You're what I need and who I need, not this. So I say yes to you, Lord. I don't. I'm not shutting you out. I say yes. So just help me do it. Give me the strength, Lord. I, I choose you. I say yes. The only bad response we can have tonight, friends, is to harden our hearts to what He's saying. Is to shut Him out and say, "I'll deal with this later, or I'll deal with it on my time, but I'm not going to deal with it." That's when we're in danger. Why would God shine light on an area of our life to give to Him? Why, why would He do that? Why can't He just leave us alone or let us be okay? Because He loves us. And His plan is better than our plan. His ways are better than our ways. So we trust Him. Right? We trust Him.